The reason I became a chef and started cooking in restaurants was because I wanted to cook Indian food and I think my dreams were bigger than the reality of my skill set at the time. Cooking in restaurants was an avenue to be able to cook Indian food better. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. We've talked before about migration patterns and their impact on the culinary landscape, and also how Indian cuisine is having its time in the sun in Australia. The breadth and depth of this incredible cuisine is beginning to emerge as one of the most exciting waves down under. Misha Trop is the owner of Toddy Shop in Melbourne, Victoria. Misha, how are you? Yeah, really good, mate. Thanks for having me. It's awesome to get you on the show. You're, you've got an exciting little hole in the wall at the moment, Toddy Shop. Tell us a little bit about it. Uh, so Toddy Shop was, it was, I've been planning a restaurant for two years now. Um, I signed four heads of agreements. I bought another business that uh, the landlord refused to transfer the lease. So when this site came up, I guess it's, it was totally different to what I had planned. And you kind of have to make a restaurant around the space rather than deciding what you want to do before you find the space. Um, and so Toddy, Toddy Shop was something I created around the space because being a small restaurant and being quite cosy, it needed something t- totally different than I had planned. Um, and it's kind of nice to come full circle and cook Carolyn food again. Tell us a little bit about the space. You said it's small. Give us a, give us a sense of the scale. Uh I didn't measure it when I, I took it over, but I recently measured it. It's 50 square metres. So it's small. Um, we've got 20 seats with a bar and kitchen all in one little space. I have one chef in the kitchen, one person in the bar, and the two of them share their dishes. <laughs> you, um, you've been uh, in the news a bit sort of since, since you opened. What, what's it been like this couple of, last couple of weeks since you opened? Uh, December was wild. I've done many different things over my career and like, uh, I guess different styles of service, but I went into this restaurant. I was the only chef in the kitchen. I didn't know how busy it would be, how hard can serving 20 people out of a small kitchen be with, with one pe- person. And I think the second week I did 650 covers over five days and then like the second week I did 750. I was like, man, I really underestimated what I could do out of this kitchen. You mentioned uh, it's nice to be cooking Corellan cuisine again. Tell us a little bit about it. It's a a region, our area in the southern point of uh, India. Tell, Tell us about the food. Yeah, so I, I think first I'd say that Carolyn food was the start of my understanding of cooking proper Indian food. It's where my mum's from and it's a culture that I didn't grow up around a lot except for like a few things that she would cook. And so when I started to go back to India and like try and rediscover my heritage, that was where I started. So when I say full circle, that's it's coming back to where I started and, and the things that I was passionate about cooking eight years ago and then obviously you you start doing other things and like move on um so carolyn food it's spicy there's huge amounts of coconut everything pretty much everything i cook either has coconut oil it's got roasted coconut or it's got ground coconut or it's got coconut milk in it everything 
has some amount of coconut in it. And then spice-wise, it uses multiple types of chilli. Um, generally, the chilies I use here in Australia are a mixture of guntur chilli, uh, Kashmiri chilli, and then stud green chilies. And like a balance, you bring a balance of different, of like astringency of um, sweet and nutty flavours, or like like real punchy fresh. This from like the green chilies, so it's got kind of like. It's not rich and creamy like other Indi- parts of India. It's it's very it's very well balanced and it, it has like a big depth of flavour that people haven't really experienced or people who haven't been to India haven't really experienced before. You mentioned that um, your mother is from there and you're inspired by that. Take us back to when you were young. Where did you grow up? And tell us a little bit about some of the dishes that your mother did cook when you were young. Yeah, so I grew up in the eastern suburbs of Melbourne. So I think when I was f- Callista, Croydon, Mitcham, um, growing up, we just grew up in, I guess, Melbourne suburbia. So I grew up with all the kids out in the 90s. At, I went to like Croydon Hills Primary School. And culturally, there wasn't a lot of Indian culture around at that time. Um, and it definitely isn't celebrated in the way that it is now. Um, so my, I think I wasn't aware of all the culture that I was around. Like my mum would do Baranatram dance and I would go to that and then she took a little bit of Carolyn food. So like things like cabbage thoran, which is like a stir fried cabbage and coconut dish with like some light spices or like okra pachiti, which is all, both of them are on the menu or actually like they just came off the menu, but they were on the opening menu on the, on the veg section. Um, and then from time to time she'd cook like some squid curries or like a fish curry. But these were things that she'd cook once every few weeks. It wasn't like a main part of our diet. When did you first sort of start getting interested in food and think of it as a potential career? Um, I've all, I grew up in a kitchen from probably five or six years old. My dad um, was a hippie and was involved in the food scene as like that, you know, that hippie alternative food scene that kind of grew up in like the seventies and eighties. So he had a whole meal pizza re- uh, restaurant on Nicholson Street in the eighties, um, and then had a <laughs> yeah long time ago. <laughs> um, I think um, the guy who started Natural Tucker used to work for him, and then went on to open Natural Tucker. Um, up on Nicholson Street. So he was involved in that more like organic uh, alternative food space. And so that's, I was always in the kitchen helping prep. I used to get paid, paid to peel pumpkin. I think I used to get paid a dollar for every 10 kilos of pumpkin I'd peel. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So I think I, my plan was originally was to become a chef and my dad kind of told me that, that I was an idiot and chefs work really hard and you didn't get paid very well. Um, and so I went into business with him when I was like 16. And at the time he would make gluten-free cakes and manufacture um, curries and soups and sell them to like cafes and restaurants around Melbourne, places like David Jones. Um, Myers used to buy stuff from him um, and a bunch of other places. Um, and so I was always around food. And he was totally wrong. Like, I worked way harder for the family business doing 80 to 100 hours a week and probably got less money anyway. 
but it, it definitely meant that when I, I started actually cooking in restaurants and um, learning to be a chef, I still had a, I had, I already had a background in food and had always done it. Was there any sort of lessons or advice that you took from your dad from those times that you sort of use now as a restaurateur? Um, I think I, it allows – I have a bit, big understanding of business. I ran all the finances on the family business from like 16 years old. So in terms of – yeah, so it, it allows you to run a business and not be scared by it because that's what I've – I grew up doing it. Um, I think being a chef was more about giving me the skills to actually cook the food I wanted and run the business that I wanted rather than actually needing to learn how to run a business. When did you move away from the family business and begin your own sort of journey? Um, I burnt out around 22, a mixture of partying too much and like all of the being a young kid and the, the I guess... Being in family business is challenging on relationships. Um, so I, I ran away to London and I, I managed a homeless charity um, and their, or I, I managed the kitchen in a homeless charity for a year and then I, I managed some volunteers in another charity fair share redistributing surplus food to the food industry. And that was pretty much the first time I'd worked for someone else for more than like a week in my life. Um, and then after that, I came back to Melbourne um, and it was probably the first rest, proper restaurant I worked in was at Host under Florian Ribble. Um, and I remember I thought I, I knew everything. <laughs> I'd, I'd grown up around food and I pretty, pretty quickly learned that uh, I wasn't as good as I thought. <laughs> I want to just uh, quickly go back to uh, the UK for a sec. Do you have any stories of what it was like immersed in sort of cooking and creating food for charities and being in that realm of, of hospitality as opposed to restaurants? Yeah, charities are amazing. Um, they it, Everything in a charity revolves around trying to do something for someone else and, and, and money's not the main driver it draws people in who who are passionate about about giving back to other people um the the downside of that is that often the people often money and understanding of running business and being efficient is not necessarily the strong suit of a charity um so having come from that i remember i I was I was still a little bit of a little shit. I would run around and I'd party and like I kind of took advantage of that. But at the same time, I I cut their budget in half within six months. I think I I spent half their year, normal yearly budget and and got more out of it just by like speaking to suppliers and cutting prices on things and getting deals and made a big difference to how they ran their kitchen. So in terms of it's very satisfying coming into an environment like that with a different skill set and being able to create create something that they they wouldn't have otherwise had. After you returned to Melbourne, what were the sort of really key venues and people that you worked with that sort of helped you create a path for yourself? Um, I'd say Flow was the big one. Um, going into host and at the time thinking I knew a lot about food. Um, Definitely, definitely was a big eye opener for me. 
And Flo is probably one of the most patient chefs I've ever met. Um, <laughs> we, we all laugh about me going down on pans every every weekend because like the whole menu had changed. Um, but it also was it was a big learning about being focused and ha- and being able to concentrate for long periods of time on one thing. I don't think I was very good at it for a long period of time. I, I think the first probably four years of cooking, I was I was scatterbrained. I could I could barely concentrate for an entire service. You mentioned a bit earlier about um, rediscovering or discovering your your heritage and really diving into that world. What what sort of triggered that? And take us on that journey that you went on. Yeah. So I, the reason I became a chef and started cooking in restaurants was because I wanted to cook Indian food and I think my dreams were bigger than the reality of my skill set at the time. Um, so starting cooking in restaurants was an avenue to be able to, to, be able to cook Indian food better. Um, I guess it, at some point in my mid-20s I was trying to discover myself a little bit and figure out who I was and what my identity was and I guess work and food was an avenue that I took to figure that out. Um, I went to India, I think, for the first time in 2014, and that was a big eye-opener And that I thought I knew a little bit about Indian food, and I realised that I kind of only knew, like, one little tiny bit that I'd grown up with, and I didn't actually really understand it at all. And so I think from that point onwards, I travelled to India at least one. since then, I've been to India at least once a year, sometimes twice a year. I think that's a big part of why, even though I didn't grow up there, I, I understand the cuisine relatively well. Take us on one of the trips that you went on. Was there one in particular that really stood out that sort of um, captured it for you? Yeah, the, there was the set, my second trip to India is probably, even now I would say that, the, my grounding in cooking Carolyn food all came from that trip. Um, I, I I jumped on a train from Mumbai and I, I rocked up in Kerala. I had had a month there planned to travel around by myself and I, I didn't really know how I was going to learn how to cook Carolyn food except I just knew that I wanted to learn. Um, and I, I'd jump online and I'd, I'd try and find places and contact people. And I found this family in Wynard. Um, they have a place called Little Home Resorts in Wynard. And they, their family also has um, Carolyn restaurants in uh, Bangalore. And I, I sent them a message. I was like, hey, guys, I know you guys run restaurants and uh, cook food. And will you teach me how to cook Carolyn food? And this guy, Jerry, he was 22, year old, 22 years old and kind of was like involved in the family business. I was like, sure. And so for eight days, he literally had all of his aunties and he even took us to his parents' place, teach us how to cook every day. And so we'd cook breakfast and I'd scribble notes. We'd cook snacks. We'd cook lunch. We'd cook snacks. We'd cook dinner. And it was like, I remember on like the fifth or sixth day, it, it was like so so much information that like felt like being at school again, <laughs> and it was overwhelming. And and I think from that trip, it took me probably four years of like looking back at my notebooks and like recooking the recipes. And it was 
it was four years of processing just from that eight days to get to the point where I could actually cook everything. Did, does this sort of immersion and looking into that heritage, does that have an impact on, on you and also the way you viewed sort of your mum and family as well? Yeah, I, I think it's made me more grounded and like I guess I... I guess I feel like in my 20s, like, you try and figure it out and you try and figure out who you are and, and, and your identity. And now, now that I'm a little bit older and I'm, I feel confident in that, it, it's kind of nice now to just to be it and kind of, like, cook that food and enjoy cooking it without trying to push. Like, now, now, now that I have a big enough grounding, I can, I can just cook traditional food and that's enough. I don't need to be trying to say cook super modern food and like put fancy things on a plate it's nice to just go back to simple things what, what does your family think about your cooking uh, mum is very proud um, she, she actually can't really eat the food anymore it's kind of a bit spicy and rich for her but she, she's super proud and, and and the family that I've still got here in Melbourne thinks, think it's pretty cool I like this the restaurant has all of the old fa- photos of family from like when my family was growing up in Ghana and when they're in Kerala and like it, it very much revolves around kind of what my, my family grew up with. Before uh, Toddy Shop, you had uh, a gig with Elsie's. Tell us a bit about what that was and what you were doing. Um, so in lockdown, I. I had got back from India. I spent the first 13 months of COVID in India. Um, and when I, that, that was an incredible experience, probably the most challenging thing I've ever done. Um, and so when I got back, we were, we were still going back into lockdowns. And between lockdowns, I would run, I, I'd sell some food through Instagram and social media and do delivery boxes. And it was kind of like a way to get out of the house. Um, and at a certain point, I got I realised that I'd done it enough times, and kind of people's interest was waning. Um, and so, I did a butter chicken delivery service out of Pope Joan in the city. We called it Popadum, <laughs> and it, it sold out, and it went really well. And Dave Mack was like, "You want to do it again?" And I was like, "Man, we can do this next week, but if I sell it under Popadum, like." It, won't, it will move half of the amount of food and it won't be very exciting. So I was like, Why, give, let's take one week off and I'll, I'll throw together a brand, I'll put together a website, we'll sell some food online and we'll, we'll do it as a proper brand launch. And so I, th- I think in a week I, I did a press release, I took some photos, I created a brand and I got off a Shopify account and we, we launched it the following Monday. Um, and it was wild. I, I remember a couple of um, bits of media went out and we, we sold out the first week in two days and I, I think I had 430 customers to get food to and like and something like 100, 180 people, different deliveries um, and just the logistics of COVID and doing that is um, an intensity that I don't miss. Um, so... That was the start of Elsie's, um, and it was, and because the brand 
did really well with the butter chicken and and it was something that was really accessible. It was, it was something that I knew I wanted to do some, some more stuff with. Um, and then the opportunity with Elsie's came up to do the Australian Open and so we sold butter chicken at the Grand Slam at the uh, on Grand Slam Oval last year at the Australian Open, which went really well. And my plan was always for the restaurant that I opened to be an Elsie's restaurant. It was going to be like something along the lines of maybe Deschum or Gymkhana in Melbourne and be a little bit fancy, but like really good Indian food. Um, and then Toddy Shop happens. <laughs> You mentioned um, you spent 13 months in India sort of for the beginning of COVID and as one of the most challenging things you've done. Give it, give us a picture of sort of what you went through and what that was like there. Yeah. So I had finished up at the Rochi and I I got into my mind that I wanted to start a curry face brand. Um, and I run the, at the time I'd also, I was a bit burnt out and I was like looking at ways to get out of the kitchen because I just needed a break. Um, and so I spoke to a friend in India and we decided we were going to start this curry paste brand. And I've, I think I, had, I managed to scrape together 30 grand and I literally just flew to India. I didn't know how to bottle curry paste, how to get shelf life on them. I had, I, all I knew is that I was moving to India to figure it out <laughs> and that I, knew, I, I, I thought I knew how to, I could put some recipes together. So... The first couple of months, we kind of, we, we decided to set up a little test kitchen. And so we set up a test kitchen in Mumbai and literally as we set it up, COVID happened. Um, so I got, I got stuck in an apartment in Mumbai for two months by myself, um, trapped. Well, not, I, I decided to stay, but I guess trapped because we were allowed to leave the building once a day to walk across the road to get fruit and vegetables and that was it. So that was my introduction to India and COVID and living in Mumbai and we, I kind of muddled my way through it for a while. Tell us, let's talk about Toddy Shop. Um, what, what's it, what did it feel like to sort of finally open an iteration of the idea that you had and it, what's it been like since opening from an operational perspective? Yeah, so I guess... The exciting thing about Toddy Shop is it's a restaurant that I never really thought I could do. I love Carolyn food and it's something I'm really proud of. Um, after the Rochi, I didn't think there was a big enough market to sustain a Carolyn restaurant um, because we did really well for a while, but it, I, I felt like there wasn't enough emotional connection and like, even though people really love the food, you couldn't fill a 50, 60 seat restaurant cooking Carolyn food. It wasn't, I guess, mainstream enough. Um, and I guess since then, my profile's got a bit bigger. Uh, and this was a 20 seat restaurant where I didn't really need to take the risk of worrying about filling 20 seats. Like that, it's, it's a space that I can do a niche cuisine and do it well and people can roll in and 20 seats is fine. So that was that was my approach to it was to do a fun restaurant that without the stress of worrying how to fill it, um, and then I opened and I was totally wrong. <laughs> I guess you don't really know until you open these things. Um, identity wise, it it definitely feels like a little piece of India here in Melbourne in terms of like how it's painted, the branding, 
the menu. Um, so there's definitely been a strong emotional connection to the Indian community. And it's also surprised me just how many locals and people around Melbourne really want to eat this food. Why do you think it's become so successful so quickly? Um, I think there's probably two reasons. One is the identity. I Like when we opened... Um, Toddy shops for the Indian community have a big emotional pull. Um, so when people, we would, you will have someone who sees Toddy shop online and an hour later they've driven down and they're here at the shop eating it because they're really excited to eat Carolyn food. Um, so in that sense, it's, it's a really strong identity wise. Um, we get people, like even last weekend, it was a couple who dro- drove up for Geelong to come eat, waited an hour in line because it was a Saturday night and then came with their two, there was four of them, two kids and a couple and they had a great time and literally had their meal, got an ice cream and drove back to Geelong. Um, and so that's really powerful. And like when we opened, there were nights where 70, 80% of our customers were Indian. Um, and then... And then the other part of it is, I guess I've built up a trust with the customer base over cooking Indian food for, for enough years that there's a customer base that trusts that what I'm cooking is good, is good, and they enjoy it. So that between those two, I think that's why it's worked the way it has. You've uh, been amazing at um, sort of tapping into your heritage and identity and um, moving that into a brand that's successful. What sort of advice would you have for young operators looking to sort of create their own brand and identity in the market? I can only say what works for me. I don't think advice is only ever relevant for the people it's relevant to. So the things that work for me is I I feel like Having doing the pop-ups and all of the events definitely allowed me to make a lot of mistakes around how I market myself, what food I cook, because people are, you can have hits and misses when you're doing events and pop-ups and people are a little bit more forgiving. Um, and then that has allowed me to build out, I guess, an identity and, and menus that, that are sellable and bankable now. Um, so that that's one part. And then the other part is, I think, having some kind of emotional attachment. I think because rest, restaurants have to do so much in terms of marketing these days, if you can have a brand that has some emotional connection to people, I think it does it goes a long way in terms of being able to market yourself. Well, you've built an incredible brand there. What, what sort of plans have you got for the next couple of years off the back of its success? Um, I think... The first thing now is to build out Toddy Shop and, and, and build a customer base so that we can be consistent throughout the year. I think that's the first step. Um, where I would love still to open an Elsie's restaurant, do something along. I, I feel like Australia is a long way behind the UK. We're probably 10 years behind in terms of the restaurants, Indian restaurants that they open there. Like every, every high street has a modern Indian restaurant in London and even the UK, there's Michelin-style Indian restaurants. There's a South Indian one and then there's a restaurant called Dharmaka that's doing incredible food. Um, I, I feel like the US is still a long way ahead or started moving ahead of us as well. So I'd like to open 
another restaurant along the lines of those restaurants in Melbourne. Um, and I'm, it'll just depend on how quickly I can make Toddy Shop operational and how quickly I can and stabilise things so that it runs smoothly. But that's definitely what I'd like to do. Well, um, it's inspiring stuff. Um, and I can't wait to see what you do from here. Um, what do you love about what you do? I guess I, right now I, I love the fact that I've gone through a career where I wanted to I wanted to constantly push. I wanted to be creative and like and and make fancy things, and I wanted to be recognised for that. And coming full circle now that I am confident enough in my food that I can put a simple a simple dish in a steel plate and serve it to people. Um, and people can enjoy things for what they are without needing to garnish it or to fluff it up and they can have a great experience. I really enjoy that. I, I think that's it's been really satisfying to come around and realise that what customers want and what the people want is they just want food to taste good. <laughs> like if you can give food, people food that tastes good, all of the other things that go into the garnishes, the plating, they actually don't matter as much as we all think. It's people want good food, they want to have a good time, and they want some nice drinks. Well, uh, Misha, I can't wait to see what you do next. It's an absolute honour to have you on Deep in the Weeds today. Uh, please keep in touch, and we'll catch up again soon. Awesome. Thanks, Hart. This is the Deep in the Weeds podcast. I'm Anthony Huckstep. Stay tuned as we take a deep dive into the lives of the incredible people who ply their trade in the food and hospitality sector. Special thanks to executive producer Rob Locke for making this all happen. Follow us on Instagram at Deep in the Weeds Podcast or email us at podcast at deepintheweeds.com.au. Stay safe and be well. <laughs>